Today on the CVU School Counselor Podcast, we are joined by Matt Minier, CVU SAP Counselor. We are revisiting Matt's role here at CVU, trends that he is seeing, uh, and some thoughts that he has around addiction and relationships. As always, thank you for listening. These aren't always easy conversations, but they are important conversations, and we're grateful to Matt for joining us. Back here with Matt Minier, our SAP counselor, and last year Matt came in and talked to us about his role as the SAP counselor, and we thought that it was time to sit down and do, not redo that interview, but kind of add to it, do a part two, we're in 23, 24 school year, so I think it's important to talk about these issues on some level again. So welcome back, Matt. You're our first, well, first-ish formal repeat sit-down guest. I appreciate you having me back. Um, so I've got a list of questions, and we've got roughly, I don't know, 40 minutes before advisory starts. So what is your... I'm curious. Some of these questions are really going to dig into kind of things that you're seeing every day and and helping students work through. But then some of these questions may be a little bit more light, a little more personal. So let's start with, um, I'm sure there's some deeper elements to it, but what is your favorite aspect of working as CVU's SAP counselor? Yeah, I, I think in general, just love working with students. Uh, you know, much like you and and some of our other colleagues, I think sometimes what brings us here working in a school is that we like working with young people and helping them uh, as they grow and as they develop. And so for me, um, that was something that was very similar, but I also think um, something that brought me here uh, as a mental health counselor, as a therapist, uh, was helping students kind of deal with some of their more personal issues that they have, whether that be substance use, whether that be mental health, um, whether that be relationships, um, those things always interested me. So uh, I'm going to ask a question and then I'm going to ask a question that's not on our little script. Yeah. So how many years of addiction counseling experience do you have? And then realizing that some of our audience might be hearing you for the first time, can you just briefly describe what it is you do here at CVU for the faculty and students? Yeah, so this is uh, my fourth year kind of working with the substance use uh, aspect of things. Um, So I would say to your first question, four years. I think before previously I was a mental health counselor for the Howard Center, which wasn't specifically like centered on dealing with substance use issues. Um, However, a lot of those students that I worked with as a mental health counselor for the Howard Center had substance use issues. And so I think I dealt with it then. And so, um, you know, for me, I've been working since 2017, not, uh, not in Vermont. I started in New York. Um, When I was in New York, I worked at a middle school and a high school for part of the time, so I dealt with some of those similar issues. Um, So since 2017, I've been dealing with substance use issues within young people, um, but more specifically the last four years. Um, And then to answer your question as an SAP, I feel like 
Um, SAP stands for Student Assistance Program Counselor. I feel like that is just a long way of describing my job in supporting students because um, that's what I do. I support students in a range of ways. I think most notably the substance use, right? There's nobody in the building that works with substance use specifically except me. So I would say that kind of puts me as, you know, the kind of expert in the building in that way. But there's a lot of other things that I work with students with, which include uh, any, you know, any mental health issue like anxiety, something even as little as, hey, I'm stressed out about this test I'm going to have. Can we talk? Because I, like, don't know what to do. I'm kind of locked down. I don't even want to go to class and take this test. Like, I might work with them through some of those crisis situations uh, that pop up. And so I support students in a range of ways, but I think most notably the substance use. Um, so, and that's kind of going to be our, our focus. Yeah. And, and I might not know how to ask some of these questions, but um, I'm curious what trends are you currently seeing in, and I'm going to say schools because I'm sure there's a, Yep. There's an SAP group of clinicians who talk amongst themselves yep. and collaborate. So what trends are you seeing? Yeah, so I think uh, what we see currently um, is a lot of marijuana use, I would say. And I don't maybe that's not different from other years. Like I've always felt students are or have been using marijuana um since I've been here at CBU as the SAP. However, I think the thing that's changed a little bit, and I think this is my opinion, um, but also something that I've seen change over the course of the time I've been here anecdotally is the way that they're using marijuana and cannabis now has changed. And so I think since cannabis has become legal in the state of Vermont and there are shops opening up and it becomes more accessible, I think how they are using it has changed. Uh, an example of that is edibles. Like I think a lot of students are, are using edibles, trying edibles, um, and that is like the number one way that they consume cannabis. If I go back to when I took this job in 2020, um, that was not how things were. Um, things were not like I barely saw any edibles being used. I hmm. think another thing that I barely saw back then um, is dab pens weren't a thing. And so for people who don't understand, dab pens are uh, like an electronic vape except for marijuana. And so as we or some people may know about vapes, uh, they're electronic and they have some sort of liquid that is then, um, you know, heated up and they blow it out and sometimes it doesn't smell or it doesn't smell as much as maybe a cigarette would. Uh, for marijuana, it's very similar. There's a cartridge that has some sort of liquid or dab oil, which has cannabis or marijuana in it. Um, usually it's pretty potent because it's really concentrated and students are using a lot of that. And so um, I would say that a majority of kids that I talk to um, that come to me to seek out support are probably not using what we as adults who, you know, who are, you know, a little bit older would see as marijuana use, right? Which is, um, you know, 
cannabis that came in a flower that you rolled into a joint that you put into a pipe. Now they do still use that, but I think um, that's less than students who are using dab pens, students who are using edibles, um, and they're kind of experimenting in those ways with uh, the new types uh, of marijuana products that there are now. Um, I'm going to ask this question, then I'm going to ask a follow-up um, about families, systems. Mm-hmm. Um, what's positive about drug use for, for students? Why, why do they um, continue to return to use, and I realize that's probably we're gonna we could do a whole yeah. podcast on that one question. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm curious what your what your thoughts are and what you've heard from students. Yeah, I think what students report to me more than anything is that it helps with their symptoms of other issues, whatever that is. Right? I think I get a lot of anxiety. Um, I think that would probably be number one that I would put on the list. Um, You ask students why they use marijuana, and they say, it helps with my anxiety. I am very anxious if I don't have my marijuana uh, or if I don't use cannabis, I almost can't function. And so their argument to me would be that once they use cannabis or once they use marijuana, they are going to be able to function more normally Um, in whatever environment that they're in. Um, And I think the difficult part is um, what they don't know or what I see is in the same way that it might make them feel like they can function more normally in whatever environment that they're in, I think it also brings up these more negative effects and these difficult effects, but that, that would be number one. I would say that the second thing that they talk about is that it's a stress reliever. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I think they talk about um, having to be on. I have some students who we might consider pretty high flyers, get really good grades, um, you know, are really great people in our community and doing really great things. Um, You know, honestly, some of them are athletes. And so they're doing really great things on the athletic field. And they'll talk about using marijuana as a stress reliever, right? When they'll, they'll talk about it almost like an adult may talk about, uh, you know, having a long day at work, coming home, and, like, having a drink. That's the way that they're talking about marijuana or cannabis in their, in their experiences. Um, and because they feel like it is a safer alternative to alcohol sometimes that's what they'll turn to Hmm. as opposed to um, alcohol. And so I think that's something that they also view as a positive, many of them, is that marijuana is actually a safer uh, substance to use than alcohol. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Not a perspective I would have come by without <laughs> having had this conversation. Yeah, it wasn't something that I realized either as until I think you you start to hear it from not just uh, three or four, but like you, you know, I think there are a large percentage of students or is a large percentage of students. Um, and saying that, uh, I would say that in our last YRBS survey that we have, um, by the time a student graduates 
here from CVU, um, 30% of them will have at least tried marijuana one time in their uh, career here at school. And I think many times um, that's because uh, that's because it's it's around and it's something that you know they hear a lot from their friends. But I think that number kind of puts it into context. So it's still not like fifty percent. It's not half of the building. But thirty percent is still a lot of students. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, and I was surprised by that number as well. Um, but I think the reason why that number is that high is because of what it is that I'm saying right now, which is that I think they view it as safer than alcohol or that they won't get in trouble, right? It's a little bit maybe easier for them to conceal that they're using marijuana mm. instead of alcohol. And so I think that's a part of it. But I think those um, two reasons are one of the biggest reasons why students use and use marijuana and why they think it's so positive. So speaking of concealing, mm -hmm. The, the follow-up question that I had that I alluded to is what should I look for with my child? And I'm, I'm asking this as, as a parent of yeah. a teenager who's probably going to be at CVU. What should I look for with my child to know if they've started using without violating that relationship? Yeah. Um, so I knew you were going to ask this question because we talked a little bit about, um, you know, certain questions that were – uh, maybe important to talk about, and I think this one's a really difficult one. Um, and I, I don't do this podcast <laughs> podcast and ask the easy questions, Matt. Yeah, that is fair. <laughs> uh, so I was thinking about it a little bit, and I also think about it. You know, from from my standpoint, I have a six year old right now, so he ain't anywhere near. Uh, you know, going through some of the things that that you're getting ready to go through, or that the parents here of the. Um, you know, the teenagers that we have in the building are going through right now. But um, I think it's difficult because as time goes on and some of the students that I talk to, they talk about working really hard to conceal their use from their parents. Um, however, I would say that some of the parents, um, and it's not necessarily the parents' fault, but the kids a lot of times will talk about trying to kind of push their parents away. I think what you find happens a lot is that um, students don't want to have conversations with their parents as much, right? They try to be short with their parents or they try to make sure that, um, you know, they can't know exactly who they're hanging out with when they're hanging out and, with them, And so I would say that from a parent's perspective, the thing that I would do is make sure that you are having regular conversations with your student, regular conversations about where they're going, regular conversations about who are your friends, what are your relationships like, um, you know, what are you all doing when you hang out, right? I think we all want to kind of juggle this balance of being able to allow for our young people to develop and to have a little bit of freedom and to have some trust. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of risk that students uh, can and will take. And I think looking back to my own experience, it's something that I took risk and did some things that I look back on that I wish I hadn't. Um, and I think as I've had conversation with my, with my own parents, um, you know, now that I'm in my 30s, I wish that they maybe inquired a little bit more about what I was doing. And so I think 
the thing that I will do as my son or uh, my son now. And, um, you know, hopefully if I have another one, my son or daughter, is I'll continue to, like, have these conversations with them as they're getting older that make it a little bit easier for me to, like, inquire about what they're doing when they get older. And I know that's uh, easier said than done, but I think the more that you set the table for having conversations and just being with them and talking about the good bad and in between with them when they're younger I think the easier it gets uh, when they get a little bit older and then I think that allows you to sense a change when they do get a little bit older right because I think a lot of our parents are doing exactly what I just said but I think what starts to happen is the student then changes a little bit right you see your student start to pull away from you a little bit some of that's normal as they get older and as they want to get more independent as they want more trust and more freedom and as they um, want to kind of turn into the young person that they want to be. However, I think when you then see um, some signs that you're uncomfortable with, whatever that is, it can be different for anybody uh, or any student, I think that's when you sense that there's something going on. Now that might not just be that they're using marijuana or that they're using substances at all, right? It could be that they're getting into this new relationship with somebody and and that is why they're preoccupied. Um, it could be that they have a new group of friends um, and that could be a positive group of friends, but maybe it could be a negative group of friends, right? There's usually a reason behind it and so I would say trying to dig into that and eventually that will become a little bit more clear as you go, but I think as soon as you kind of start to sense something's different, trust your gut. Like as parents, we understand when something's going on with our kid many times. Like even as my, you know, it's easy when they're six because a lot of times they'll just tell you and they're not very good at con- kind of concealing <laughs> those emotions, right? That's what happens when you're six. But you know even when you ask them what's wrong and he's like nothing but he's like pouting or he's upset we understand like, oh, hey, you're telling me nothing's wrong, but I'm seeing in you as you're, you know, walking down with your shoulders slumped and your head down that something is wrong. So let's talk it out. Right. They get better at concealing that as they get older. However, I think that's the premise remains the same. They still have something going on that maybe they don't want to tell you. And I think that's when you trust your gut. I once had a student tell me that, um, I don't remember the kind of how it came up, but they they were talking about um, the, their relationship with their with their parents, and it was this very healthy, open relationship. And one of the things that the student pointed to was that they had date nights. That one night a month, dad, or one lunch a month, they went to lunch with dad, and one, and it wasn't a divorced family, yeah. but one one day a month they went out to lunch with with mom and they had multiple siblings and the parents were very intentional about it's just me and Billy time yep. and uh, the student pointed to that as being a really healthy kind of non-confrontational way to have just formed this open bond and relationship yeah I really love that because I think that is um a really good idea and I think something that I would also add to that um, is sometimes that 
can just be about maybe talking about some of the positive things that the student yep. has going on in their life. I think that's a really important piece of what we're talking about. Um, frequently, I have students come in who are obviously using, um, and in many cases, the parents have an idea that the student is using. Um, and as a parent, obviously not being there yet, I can only imagine how anxiety provoking that is and how much you want them to stop and how much you want them to like start thinking um, more clearly about the decisions that they're making. And so what that leads to is the parent really like, in the student's eyes, harping on them about their use or mm. about the bad mm -hmm. decisions that they're making. And so I would say if uh, anybody listening is going to start doing that or is doing that already, I think it's great, but trying to, for that hour or so that you're with the student and it's you and them one-on-one, -on -one, trying to keep that positive, right? And not, uh, as the student would say, nagging them about their use or pushing too hard on, oh, are you using this? Or who is using in your friend group? Or what does that look like? I think some of those questions might be okay if you're getting there in the natural flow of the conversation, but really coming out and having, you know, maybe the hundred questions that you actually have for them that are, uh, will be intense in their eyes, maybe isn't the way to do it. Trying to keep it positive, trying to keep it low, low stress is a way that you can develop some of that trust and then eventually you'll be able to kind of get to a place where, you know what, you still have that same lunch date every month that's really positive, but maybe it's adding another one or some other time where you can ask some more intense questions or you can have some sort of sit down yep. conversation that's aside from that time. Because I think that's when you'll, I think you'll find a little bit more success in getting the information or in just kind of figuring out with the student that something might be going on. Because a lot of times they're not gonna give you everything. They don't give me everything, right? I sit down with them and I hear a lot um, from them, yes, but I think a lot of times that does not include everything that's going on because the next time that they come sit down with me might be a week later, might be two weeks later, it might be a month later. They'll come to me and they'll say, yeah, so remember a few weeks ago or last week when I said this, which was maybe a difficult thing that they had going on that had something to do with their use. Um, what I didn't tell you was X, Y, and Z, and now X, Y, and Z is something that I'm dealing with and I'm facing it right here and I don't know what to do. So a lot of times they ain't gonna give you everything and so I think trying to get enough of a sense of what's going on from them is important, but understanding that you're probably not getting the full story is important to remember. And, and the other important piece in this, in this conversation with the student that you, in your answer, you made me remember is that that student knew twice a month. They might not hear it any other time during the month because everybody's lives are pushing and pulling in different directions. But twice a month, they would hear their parents tell them that they loved them. And that was a really powerful thing for, for that student in the crush of everything that's happening at home. It's not always said, it's implied, it's inferred, we assume, 
but once a month, twice a month, that student heard it from their parents, and that was really powerful for them. Yeah, it's necessary. Very necessary. So how do you work with students, Matt? What are the entry gates? Do students have confidentiality, or are you obligated to report to families? Yeah, so I am a mandated reporter uh, to DCF, like everybody who works in the school building. So I think that's important off the top. Um, what that looks like is is um, is different probably than some people, but essentially if a student reports abuse or neglect or something that can be reported to DCF, I'm obligated to report that the same way anybody else is. Um, where I would say my role is different and where my confidentiality kicks in um, is around substances. And so what that means is I don't necessarily have to tell a student's parents if they come to me and they admit to using substances. That's something that um, I am not obligated to report. And um, there's a state law, which I believe is um, 42 CFR, but I'm not sure, so somebody could check me on that, um, that allows me or people in our position doing substance use counseling with students uh, any student who is above the age of 13, it allows that to be confidential, confidential between them and some sort of provider or some sort of counselor um, like me. Um, with that being said, I think a lot of my work is spent, yes, talking to the student about their use and about what they have going on, but is also spent um, letting them know in most cases, and I want to acknowledge that it's not in all cases, like sometimes, um, you know, parents aren't the most healthy person that these people can go to. But I think in most cases, parents are. And so I encourage them uh, not that they don't have to hide this from their parents mm -hmm. and that having a conversation with their parents isn't necessarily going to mean that their parents are going to be, uh, you know, mad at them to the point where they don't love them or that they're going to disown them because I get that a lot like my parents will kill me this will all be really bad uh, you know it will really disappoint me and then you know everything will fall apart I try to let them know and I think this is uh, the beauty of where I'm at in life right now I think which is beneficial is um, you know I, I don't quite have a teenager yet um, which I think uh, can be difficult for me to understand everything uh, from where parents come from when they have a teenager, but I also have a kid. And so one thing that I use with students a lot is talking to them about like, hey, you know what? My son's not at the point in which you are right now, but I know as a parent that if I was in this situation, I would want to know this and I wouldn't be very mad at him and like go straight to punishing him, I would wanna have a conversation very similarly to how we are having a conversation. And so I think I encourage them a lot to bring that to their parents. I would also say that another thing that takes place is that I end up in a situation where I want to speak with them about what their goals are. I think a lot of times students do, uh, some of them want to stop using, other times, they don't want to stop using, and so we're going to kind of talk about what that looks like, and hopefully um, my goal is always to get them to kind of look at their decision-making process and hopefully decide to stop using at some point, but that's always uh, easier said than done. Um, to kind of reference the entry gates, 
there's a lot of different entryways into my office. I think I hit on it a little bit earlier. Um, a lot of times it starts with just some stress, maybe a little bit of anxiety. Hey, I'm not going to class. I'm struggling a little bit with um, my schoolwork. I don't know, really know what to do. I'd love to talk to somebody. I'm maybe not open to talking to one of the school social workers, school social workers, because that seems more formal and a little bit more intense. And so I am kind of the person that gets to like take those cases on. And I think one thing that I loved about um, the person who had this job before me, Tim T, uh, Tim Trevithick, is he always said my caseload is every single kid uh, and every single adult in the school. And so he very look, he looked at it as a really big um, caseload. And I look at it the same way because I can kind of meet or talk with students about anything. And I think a lot of times what you find is with students in particular um, is there's some sort of um, connection to substance use within there, right? Whether it's a friend and some relationships that they're having trouble with friends that are using substances, whether it's themselves, whether it's a family member or somebody out, you know, like a, um, you know, somebody that's living in the house or just a, a larger family member, an aunt and uncle that's struggling with substance use. And eventually that's something that we get into talking about a lot. Um, I realize we only have 10 minutes left before we have a hard stop, yep. but what are, and so this is going to be hard to answer in 10 minutes, but I think it's germane to some of the things that you've brought up. What are some of the um, psychological signs that someone might be experiencing addiction? And what are some of the most common factors that can contribute to relapses? Yeah, so this is, um, I feel like this is a question I get a lot. It's, um, in, in some ways, it's, like a tough question to answer only because uh, it looks different for for everybody. But I would say the thing that I point to a lot are um, behavioral signs, right? And those behavioral signs can look very different in different students. Um, but school performance is a big one, right? Something that I've seen over my years of being here, even as um, the Howard Center clinician, was that some students who started out maybe as freshmen doing really well, having really good grades, as they kind of get into that second half of their sophomore year, you start to see their grades plummet maybe. You start to see their um, them maybe not going into class as much, so they, they start skipping a little bit more class. Um, here in the building, maybe you start to see them hanging out with students who aren't the best influence on them, and those are signs, right? When the school performance plummets from what would be really good grades for a student to really bad grades, something's going on. Now, does that mean it's always substance use? No. Does that mean uh, it could be something else that they have going on? Yes. Uh, but I think a lot of times you see that they're starting to experiment with substances in a way that has kind of captured their attention and brought what they used to mm. put in a lot of time into their schoolwork and making sure it's done and making sure they go into class uh, and are able to get that schoolwork done in a way that um, was once at a really high level, 
they don't take it as seriously and it doesn't matter as much. So I would say like school performance for some is really important. I would say for others, um, it's just kind of seeing where their motivation is at, right? I think uh, a telltale sign is students having a lack of motivation. So at some point in time, when you have a student who was always motivated to do things, whatever it, whatever it is that they like to do, um, it might be that they loved going running with you. It might be that they would go with you to like run the errands that you ran all the time or that they spent a lot of time with their sibling if they have siblings at home or even if they don't have siblings at home that they spent a lot of time around the family wanting to like do things and were kind of, you know, were happy to do it um, and seemed like they were just having a good time that turns into I am going to kind of go hide out in my room. I'm going to spend some more time on devices. I'm going to spend more time talking with my friends. Um, but also, I don't necessarily always have those friends over, maybe, right? Um, or it's just that um, you start to see some of those friends come around, and you as a parent maybe aren't super comfortable with what you're seeing yep. out of those, right? Um, and I think that rolls me into talking about what are their relationships like? I think that's a big one too, right? So if at one point in time they had this one group of friends that they had for a very long time, all the way up through school, and then next thing you know you talk to them and they're like, yeah, I'm not spending time with those people anymore. I'm not really friends with them anymore. And that seems to happen over a relatively shorter period of time. I think that can tell you something's going on. Now that doesn't mean that it's your student. Truthfully, I think a lot of times, I think there are some students who see that those, that group of friends that they had, that they were really close with, are potentially making decisions to use substances or making decisions to do things that they're not comfortable with so they have to seek out another friend group. And so sometimes it's not necessarily your student. It could be that other group of students. But I think if there's another group of students who all seem to be doing pretty well and maybe you communicate with their, um, their families because they're your family friends and those students seem to be doing all right and maybe your student is um, you know kind of the outlier, I think that might tell you something about um, what's going on. And then I think one of the last ones that I had is just quitting or stopping things that they really love to do. Mm, I think mm -hmm. you see you see this in athletics a lot, right? Um, and you know sometimes that's because maybe they genuinely are aren't interested in doing the athletics as much, and so it's not just an athletics thing. But I think in substance use, I see that a lot, where students who loved playing sports were part of all these teams. They didn't necessarily get cut, so it wasn't that. They just say, yeah, I'm just not going to try out. I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this anymore. It's not fun. They might be in the middle of a season, and they're like, ah, I really don't want to go to practice. Like, this is something that I really don't want to do. I don't think I'm going to play. That change is something that I encourage parents to, to pick up on. And it doesn't just have to be athletics, right? There might be things that they're doing outside of school that they've always done, uh, being a part of a club doing a hobby that they've always done with you or somebody that is a family friend, when they stop doing that, 
that should be a key indicator that something's going on. And I think a lot of times when you have these students in high school, um, especially end of freshman year, middle of freshman year, into sophomore year, especially the end of sophomore year, kind of going into that sophomore summer, um, those are those really key times that I see students really starting to increase their use through experimenting with different substances, and that is a key um, thing, a key sign to watch out for. Well, thanks, Matt. Yeah. We are just about at the bell. <laughs> um, we should probably do this again Yeah. at some point, maybe not next week. But if I want to encourage families who are listening that if you have questions for Matt and myself, feel free to pop them in an email. The email address is connected with with the podcast. I can pass them along to Matt. We can sit down again um, talking to our SAP about what's happening with our students, I think is 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 always a, a relevant and, and current topic. Yeah, I really appreciate that. There's one thing that I want to get in right before the bell. I was just going to say, is there anything you want to yeah, add? Which is just, uh, I didn't necessarily answer the question about relapse. Relapse is definitely a part of recovery for any student that has them going on. But I think the one key sign or key thing that I would look out for in students who may have struggled with their use um, in a relapse, what you will see is them starting to kind of spend time with old friends who maybe weren't the best of influence on them. Yep. If you see them starting to spend time with those old friends or even starting to revert back to some of those behaviors that we talked about before, to me that's a red flag and it's something that you should look out for. So I always think when it comes to relapse relationships with some people who weren't really good influences is a big thing, but also back to those signs of the, the performance in school, the lack of motivation, um, their social relationships. Those are all things that you should look out for, for relapse, but it's also a part of recovery. And so I would say like, if they've started to kind of develop a way of, uh, if they have started to become sober and make those good choices once, they can do it again. But I think those are the signs that you should look out for. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, thank you, Russ.